In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. We're continuing our walk in this Lenten journey here in the second week as we prepare for Good Friday, as we prepare to recognize the sins that Christ died for, the sins that He is uh, saving us from. And we talked a little bit last week about sin and about um, our response to sin. And so very quickly, what the scriptures are offering us is an antidote to sin, a comfort, a, a balm. And that uh, comfort and balm is faith, uh, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love are a balm to uh, despair, a balm to um, anger, a balm to disloyalty. Those are the things that are uh, tempting us in the world. The world is continually tempting us to be angry at our neighbor, uh, to fall into despair, and to prove disloyal to God. And so this morning we're looking at one of those antidotes. We're looking at faith and its benefit to us uh, through grace. And of course, anytime we talk about faith, we have to start with uh, Abraham, who is called the father of faith. Abraham, for us, is the exemplar of what it means to be a person of faith. If we want to understand faith, we have to understand Abraham. So remember that here he is uh, still called Abram. He's left his home along with his family in Ur, the Chaldees. This is uh, near uh, present-day uh, Baghdad. And he goes and follows the path of the Fertile Crescent, right? He starts uh, down uh, here and he goes uh, up into present-day Syria and Turkey into Haran, and at the top of the Fertile Crescent, he uh, rests and waits with his father Terah, and they dwell there for a period of time, and then Abram is called out of that place, and he goes down uh, along the coast of the Mediterranean there into um, this rich land called uh, the Promised Land, and dwells there near the Dead Sea. So he follows this path, and the Lord calls him into this place, and he calls him into a special relationship. Uh, what does um, the Lord do? First off, he calls him away from another loyalty. So that's the first thing that we have to understand about faith, is that it's about loyalty. It's about who it is that we're connected to. And especially in the ancient world, that's so important because, uh, you know, there aren't, uh, you know, savings accounts that they can get to from another place, right? You can't go to your local uh, branch that you had been visiting in Ur and go and visit the one in Haran and then visit the other one in the... Promised land, right? So for financial security, you needed family. Uh, for military security, right? For them to protect their families, they had to have uh, that act of the family or the tribe to be able to protect them. Uh, to be able to have people to speak with and to trade with, uh, to barter with, you had to have that relationship. So for him to be called out of his home country, for him to be called away from his father and his father's people is to leave everything that he had depended on, everything that was going to uh, provide for him that kind of security that we so desperately long for. And so the first thing that the Lord tells him is, go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house. Now, how those um, things are going to be provided for are not immediately said, right? The first thing that he has to do is to leave. The first thing that he has to do is to go. And, um, and so this is um, the first act of faith, is that he, he leaves. The promise that the Lord gives him pretty immediately after he leaves that loyalty of family and country is that in him all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
And we'll come back to that in a minute. Um, they are being blessed through the acts uh, that Abraham has done, right? So it's not that, that Abraham has done them one time and then everybody else rests on his act, right? Jesus says the children of Abraham do as Abraham has done. So we are blessed in that we have been given an example to follow to place our loyalties with God. And here is the, the wrapping up of faith. The Lord tells him to go. And then in Genesis 12, 4, so Abraham went. See how complex faith is? The Lord said go. And Abraham went. Pretty complex, huh? We try to make faith into this really big, complex, spiritual idea. It's very simple. It's very simple. So he goes, and then when he goes, when he enters into now this new loyalty relationship with the Lord, where he's trusting in the Lord to be his father, the Lord to be his protector, the Lord to be his provider, then he does two very important things. He builds an altar and makes an offering. This is what we do here today. We are building an altar and we are making an offering. What we are offering is our souls and our bodies. In other words, everything that we have. We are making an offering to God. We are going to sing the offertory. The offertory is when we say to the Lord, Okay, this is all that I have, all that I am, and I am going to give it to you. So we all as a group are coming here together today to say that we are offering our souls and bodies to God at His holy altar. And then He calls upon the name of the Lord, which we do over and over again in the prayers of the people, in the Eucharistic prayer, the post-communion prayer. We did it to open in prayer. We're going to do it tomorrow morning. We're going to do it the morning after that. We're going to call upon the name of the Lord. So we're giving everything to God and we're calling upon Him for all that we need. And now, Abraham has entered into complete loyalty with God. Everything I have is yours and I turn to you to provide everything that I need. And this is the relationship of faith that we have to understand if we're going to receive the bomb, if we're going to receive the blessing that will keep us from disloyalty and from despair. This uh, relationship, this loyalty relationship is one that Nicodemus is very concerned about as a, as a ruler of the Jews, right? Nicodemus has this uh, prime place of authority and his job is to, um, to instruct the people and he's supposed to instruct them in the ways in which they're supposed to be in this relationship with God and then Jesus comes along and Nicodemus can't he can't look away and he can't um, he can't seem to try to integrate what it is that Jesus is saying and who he is but he can't deny who Jesus is he says it's clear um, that you come from God he says in John chapter 3 uh, verse 2 we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs unless God is with him so Nicodemus says, this, this is what I understand. 
Sometimes commentators uh, say that he comes at night because he's ashamed or afraid, and that very well may be. What, one other option, and it doesn't have to be an either-or, can be that this is a good time to speak to Jesus. Because we know about the pressing of the crowds and how difficult it was to get near to him. And so he picks a time when he can have a discussion with Jesus because this is a very um, kind of a, an important point of discussion that he's wanting to have and understand. Jesus then answers the question that Nicodemus should have been asking, right? And Nicodemus comes and says, how am I to understand who you are? It's clear that you're from God. And then Jesus says, this is what you need to know. That is what you're supposed to do. So he says, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to be born again. You're supposed to be born again. And Nicodemus says, I, I don't understand how I can be born again. And Jesus shows how uh, this being born again is the promise that's been given since the time of the flood of Noah, since the crossing of the Red Sea, since the crossing of the River Jordan. And that is uh, since... Um, Abram has come from Haran, that is to leave what's behind, to leave our sin, to leave our previous loyalty, to be washed by that, and then to enter into a new covenant relationship with God. And this is the first act of holy baptism. You know that holy baptism has two main primary acts, the washing of water and the receiving of the Holy Spirit and chrismation. These are the two main things that we do in baptism. So Jesus is saying, first off, you have to be washed from whatever it was that you had been loyal to before, to your appetites, to your desires. Were you putting country before God? Were you putting family before God? Were you putting your private interests before God? Be washed of all that. Be clean of all that. And this is what we do in baptism, right? We reject all other loyalties, right? We're exercised. There's three statements of exorcism. We say we reject all things but God. Then when we have been washed, we've been cleaned, as the people are when they cross the Jordan River, now there's the time for the coming of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says you have to be washed by water and by the Holy Spirit, right? So then the Holy Spirit comes in chrismation and we receive the Spirit so that we can be blown where the Spirit will blow. Just as Abraham was blown where the Spirit would blow him, right? He was sent and he went. And this is what the wind does. The wind goes where it will. And this is our relationship with the Spirit. In other words, we're not in charge anymore. It's not inviting God into our life. We're being invited into His life. And now we're saying, okay, where is the Spirit blowing? For urban Americans... This can be a tough analogy because the wind is just messes our hair. <laughs> we seem to think that we don't need it, right? For the ancient world, wind is essential. It's the breath of the earth. It brings rain. It spreads seed. If you're going to get across the ocean, you have to have it. If you're going to separate the wheat from the chaff, with the winnowing fork. You have to have it. And you have to discern which way it's blowing. You have to understand this is the way it's blowing and the speed in which it's blowing so that I know how to trim my sail or I know how to use my fork or I know where to put my windmill. 
It takes discernment to say, where is it going and how do I respond? Because we can't direct the wind. Right? I can harness the wind, but I'm not its creator. And this is what Jesus is saying. When we accept the Holy Spirit, we can harness it, we can link ourselves to it, and be brought where the Lord would bring us, but we can't create it. We lose that direction over our own lives. And so he says, you have to believe these things. Just as a reminder, as I've said over and over again, belief is the summary of faith, what Abram has done. It's not just an idea, right? Because the demons give the clearest right attribution to Jesus. They say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, right? So it's not just knowing who he is. Judas knew who he was. The question is, what do we do about it? How do we respond? And so Jesus says, you have to believe in me and turn to me as the people did, turning to the serpent in the wilderness. And you remember how the people, after their grumbling, were being bitten by snakes. And Moses, in this very, very strange passage, is instructed to put this bronze serpent onto the snake, right? To look upon the cause of their illness, and they were healed. And Jesus is saying, that's me. If you look upon my suffering, if you look upon my sacrifice, if you look upon me upon the cross, you will be healed. If you reject me, or you turn away, or you don't look, you won't be healed. And this is what we don't want to look at. <laughs> this is why we're spending 40 days <laughs> to look, because we don't really want to look at the cross. We don't really want to look at the broken body of our Savior because we don't really want to admit that we need it. That we are in need of a Savior. And it's taking us 40 days to maybe just get a couple of glimpses of our true selves to understand what's been done for us. Just as the people didn't want to look upon the snake in the wilderness. So we are tempted away from looking at the body of our crucified Lord but it's the only way that we'll be healed. It's the only way that we will be healed, that that is to, um, to look upon the Lord and His calling us into this life of loyalty. St. Paul talks about this life of loyalty. He talks about the life of faith. And he's talking about it in a very specific way, in a very specific place. And unfortunately... Um, this passage has been used many times by people that want to make faith and works opposed to one another. And that's very clearly not what St. Paul is talking about. If we talk about works of righteousness, he talks over and over again about being counted as righteous, that Abraham is counted as righteous, um, that um, he has the righteousness that he had by faith, um, that, um, that it's through the righteousness of faith. Um, that we're saved. So over and over again, he talks about the righteousness of faith, right? The right living. So this isn't what he's talking about when, when, when he's talking about works and he's talking about um, the difference between faith and works. The works that he's talking about are in this middle passage, which strangely, if you look at the notes on your bulletin on page two, the lectionary writers would allow us to remove verses six through 12. That's a problem. 
you ask me, that we'd even be given the choice to remove that passage. Hmm? If you remove that passage, the whole bit really doesn't make sense. Because that whole bit is about circumcision. And people want to treat it like, oh, he's just throwing a bit about circumcision in there. No, the whole point is about circumcision. This is why Paul is writing to the church in Rome in the first place. Because the church in Rome, as fantastic as it was, was separated. It was, it was divided. There were Jews at one table at Holy Communion and Gentiles at another table. And the Jews were saying, if you want to come into the righteousness of Abraham, you have to be circumcised. If you want to come into the faithfulness of God, and there were those that were following Paul and other evangelists around the churches and saying, you've got to be circumcised in order to be saved. And that's never stopped. That's never stopped. People will come behind and say, you have to keep Saturday as a strict Sabbath. Or you have to keep uh, the purity laws. You have to keep the, the food laws. And the church addressed this. Right? The church addressed this in the very first century in Acts chapter 15, right? About what it is that we have to, to do, what we have to adhere to. And circumcision and the purity laws were not those. So what's he saying here? He's saying that circumcision was a seal, that is that it was a, a symbol of the righteousness that Abraham said. He said, in other words, that Abraham was counted as righteous before he was baptized. He wasn't a Jew. He wasn't living according to the Jewish law. He wasn't keeping the purity codes. And the Lord counted him as righteous. Why did the Lord do that? Because he told him to go and he went. Maybe it's hard for us to find a comparable. Although I think that we have some comparables because there's people coming behind again that want to, to enforce these kinds of legalistic ways of, of living. But maybe we think that, oh, because I was baptized, like Judas was, that that's going to mean something, apart from a life of righteousness. Will it? Nope. That is the strength to do what we're supposed to do. But if we reject Christ and turn away from Him as Judas did at the last hour, woe be upon us. If we lead others astray, if we let others think that they don't have to live lives of righteousness, that somehow righteousness is not uh, the fruit of works, woe be to us. He says in Romans 4, 13, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Because the Lord told him to go, and he went. Nicodemus, in four chapters, defends Christ in the middle of an assembly. In chapter 7 in John's Gospel, Nicodemus stands up for Christ, and he declares him. And when Jesus is upon the cross and the disciples have scattered and a few women and John the Evangelist are at the foot of the cross, it's Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus 
that come with the jars and take him down off the cross and wrap his body and place it in the tomb. Will we be ready to declare the Lord? To confess him? To stand before those who might accuse us or criticize us or condemn us? Will we stand and declare the Lord and be ready to serve and comfort his body in faith and hope and in love? Amen.